0: I have a question for you this morning. As we begin, have you ever made a decision that in one way or another has come back to haunt you? you ever done that? Well, let me tell you, back when Don and I were first married, um, we got married in New Jersey, and the people in New Jersey. They just gave money instead of, you know, a gift. They just said, hey, here's some cash. Here you go. Here's some money. So um, we had this sum of money from our wedding, and we needed a car. So I went out. Well, not I. Don and I went out and bought a car. I won't tell you what kind of car it was because it was a mess, I tell you what, it wasn't long before I was trying to fix it. Jeff, I could have used your help, buddy, but it just, it was a mess, and later we found out there was a bunch of recalls on it, and we pretty much lost all of the money that we invested in this car, and... Man, was I upset because, I mean, we got a chunk of money for our wedding and it was all gone. And man, that, that still haunts me because it's like, I could have made such good use of that money, but it was gone. Maybe you can think of a decision that you made that has come back to haunt you because It didn't quite turn out how you thought it was going to turn out. You get all worked up and anxious over it. You thought it was done, gone, in the past, and that you didn't have to deal with it ever again, but somehow that decision came back and got you real good. Well, that's what King Herod Antipas was thinking. A past really bad decision was coming back to get him. And he was shaking in his sandals. (laughs) Let's turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to pick up our study of Mark here in Mark, chapter 6. And we'll start at verse 14, Mark 6, 14. So open your Bibles or... Turn on your devices and turn to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or device, there should be a Bible in the chairs in front of you. But follow along. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14. Here we go. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. What? What? King Herod heard about this. What did King Herod hear? I mean, what was happening that it made it the whole way to the very top in in the government that King Herod heard about what was going on. Now, King Herod, as he liked to be called, was not actually a king. He just liked to be called a king. I guess it fed his ego in some way, but he was just a tetrarch, which meant that he was a ruler over a section of Palestine. But he heard about some incredible things that were happening. And to think he didn't even have a cable news service. So what was happening that King Herod heard about it? Well, we need to go back to verse 7 in chapter 6 to find out what was going on. So Mark 6, verse 7, we see that Jesus was sending out his 12 disciples. He was sending them out in pairs. And it says that he gave them authority over evil spirits. The disciples were talking about Jesus. It's kind of interesting. Verses 12 and 13 says this. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. See that in verse 12 and 13 of Mark 6? Jesus sent them out and they preached that people should repent. Someone else did that, didn't they? Yeah, John the Baptist. Here were the disciples. They went out and preached. People should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. That's what was happening. People were getting healed from their diseases and sicknesses without any logical human explanation. Demons were being cast out. Jesus' ministry was now being multiplied by the six pairs of people that have gone out into the Galilean region. And so much healing has taken place that that news made it the whole way to Herod. Now what's interesting, if you look at verse 14, it says that Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. The disciples were doing all this work But yet they were not taking the credit for it. They were not saying, hey, wasn't I good? (laughs) Man, wasn't that awesome what I just did? I bet you can't do that. Wow, look at me. No, they were not doing that at all. Instead, they were saying, you know what? (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) It's Jesus. It's Jesus who is doing this. In Sunday school, we were talking about this. Like, you know, we get caught up in, you know, our world, our thing. Well, we make it all about me. But these disciples here were not making it about themselves. Because whose name was being well-known? Not theirs. It was Jesus. That's right. Point number one. Our ministry must be based on the power of Jesus. And that he gets All the credit. Let that sink in, folks. Our ministry, both in our church and individually, has to be based on the power of Jesus and that He gets all the credit. Because, you know, when a pastor or an elder or anyone in the church that makes it all about them and not Jesus we got a we got a problem we have a problem make sure that this church make sure that you as an individual are making it about Jesus that's why Our purpose is to become more like Jesus. That's what we want to see happen. And that's where our focus needs to be. And that's what the disciples were doing as they went around healing people, as they went around casting out demons. They were saying, you know, it's not me. I can't do this. But through the power of Jesus, it can happen. And that's what was going on. And King Herod heard about it. And that's what triggers the story of John the Baptist. Let's pick back up in Mark six fourteen. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And so others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets long ago but when herod heard this he said john whom i beheaded has been raised from the dead do you hear the panic in his voice do you hear him say wait 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 john i beheaded that guy he was dead I saw his head on a platter. Well, what do you mean he's come back to life? You know it's like that Night at the Museum movie, the Battle of the Smithsonian, where Kumra comes back to life. And I'm thinking that's what Herod was thinking too. Wait a second. He's come back to life. And he was shaking in his sandals, because, well, we'll get there. The parallel story in Luke chapter 9 says this. It'll be up on the screen, so you can just read it up on the screen. Now, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. You bet he was. He was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and so others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. You bet he did. Because he wanted to find out, is this John the Baptist who has, has come back to life? You bet he was perplexed and bewildered and disconcerted and anxious. Yeah, and he wanted to see him with his own eyes. Is this John the Baptist who has come back to life? I also think his conscience was bothering him a little bit here. Well, who is John the Baptist? Let's take a look at who is John the Baptist. You know, he was the last Old Testament prophet. Think about that for a second. Right, he's written in the New Testament. How is he the last Old Testament prophet? Hmm. Well, because Jesus has not died on the cross yet. And he came to tell people the Messiah is coming. Repent. Repent of your sins and be baptized. Notice what Jesus says of John the Baptist. We have to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse starting at verse 7 and the Matthew passage will be up on the screen. Follow along. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see, a reed swayed by the wind? If not, What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, Jesus is saying, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Very high praise from the mouth of Jesus. And his message was the same as many of the prophets, repent of your sins. And unfortunately for John, his ministry ended the way so many Old Testament prophets' ministries ended by being martyred. Now back in Mark 6, verses 17 through 28 recounts the story of John's execution. And it probably happened not too long before this setting is taking place right now in Mark 6. So The memories of everything that has happened is probably still very fresh in the minds of Herod and those people around him. This section, verses 17 through 28 in Mark 6, I I titled, Love, Lust, and Lost Morals. Love, lust, and lost morals. Now, for you trivia lovers, this story here in Mark about John the Baptist is the only story in the book of Mark that is not about Jesus. So you can use that in your friends sometime. But it ties into Jesus because it's because of the ministry of Jesus and his disciples that Mark recounts the story of John the Baptist. But this story of John the Baptist is the only one that's not about Jesus in the whole book of Mark. All right. Love, lust and lost morals. Verse 17. Mark 6:17. For Herod himself had given orders to John to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Mighty King Herod Antipas, because of his love for Herodias, gave in to her wishes. Herod found himself in a difficult position. (laughs) He didn't want to displease his wife, even though he knows that John is a righteous and holy man who has done nothing wrong. Think about the tension in that household until Herod does what Herodias requested. Well, what put John on Herodias' blacklist? Why did she hate John so much? Well, here's the soap opera part, okay? So let me give you a broad overview of what's being talked about here. Herod the Great, who was in power when Jesus was born, he was the one who had all the babies killed in Bethlehem who were under two because the wise men came to Jerusalem, talked to Herod the Great, and Herod the Great found out, oh, there's another king, and so Anyway, Herod had all the babies in uh, Bethlehem killed who were under two, but to Herod the Great, so what? He killed two of his own sons. He didn't like them. Well, Herod died about 3 AD, and if you read in Luke, that's when Mary... And Joseph and Jesus returned from Egypt. Well, Herod the Great had ten wives and consequently a number of children. Again, imagine that household. Herodias was one of the daughters of one of the sons of Herod the Great. Philip was a son of Herod the Great. Philip was a half-brother of Herodias' father. So when Herodias married Philip, she was actually marrying her half-uncle. And I think that's twisted. Then Herod Antipas, the man in our true story here, took his half-brother's wife Herodias and marries Herodias for himself. Herodias divorces Philip and marries Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had a wife from King Artaeus IV, divorced her, and now there's Herodias. So yeah, so really, King Herod Antipas also married his half-niece Herodias, just like Uh, Herod Antipas's half brother Philip had done. So, in fact, when you look at verse 17, um, Mark doesn't even call Herodias Herodias, um, Herod Antipas's wife because she was married to Philip. He just says, um, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound, put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. That's who she was, because Philip had married her, whom he had married. But King Herod Antipas took his half-brother's wife Herodias. And then we have John, who calls out Herod for marrying his half-brother's wife. That's why Herodias hated John because he called out that that marriage was unlawful. In fact, she hated him so much that she demanded that he be put in prison, which happened. Verse 19. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, and Herod Antipas had him put in jail. Point number two I want to mention is that when you speak biblical truth, be prepared for pushback. I tell you what, from the events of the last uh, three four months. It has happened over and over and over again where people have stood up for what is biblical truth and having major pushback. The past week or two weeks ago when it came out that some of the Supreme Court justices want to overturn Roe versus Wade because abortion is wrong. And that is a biblical truth. Abortion is wrong. Look what's been happening. When you have the governor of Florida saying that, no, we're not going to teach transgenderism to early elementary kids because it is wrong. Look what's happening. When you stand for biblical truth, folks, be prepared for pushback. And it could get really ugly. We will see. But when you speak the truth, there's going to be pushback against the culture because who rules over the culture? Satan. And boy, oh boy, he does not want people to follow biblical truth. You know, when you stand up that for marriage is between a man and a woman man, you're going to get pushback. When you stand up against anything of the LGBTQT, you're going to get pushback. Because when you stand up for biblical truth, you are going to have a lot of pushback from our culture. Let's pick up in verse 19 and 20 of Mark 6. It says that she wanted, Herodias wanted John to be killed. But she was not able to do that because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. John's reputation was well known, And he demonstrated by his life what he believed. Herod knew John well. Well enough to know that he was a righteous and holy man. I find the last part of verse 20 interesting. Look what it says. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Yet he liked to listen to him. Herod's Herod was puzzled at John's message. He was, as Matthew states it, he he was perplexed at John's message. And when he was puzzled or perplexed, it it literally means to be without a way. He doesn't know where to go. There's not a clear path, a clear direction. He's just, okay, I, I... I don't know what to do here. And that's what Herod was with John's message. I, I, I don't know what to do here with, with this message. It was like he was dazed and confused about, you know, I, I, okay, what, what do I do with this? Of course he was dazed and perplexed and of course he was confused, because you had a righteous and holy man, which Herod knew that John was, telling him that his marriage was wrong, but yet Herod didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to change. He liked what he was doing. So he was, he was perplexed, he was confused, he was puzzled. And he was too weak in character to make a change. He was torn by his impulses, the, the truth that John spoke, but yet his, his love for his wife, who he married illegitimately. You know, today, many people like good preaching as long as it does not affect their personal life. Herod liked to listen to him. That gives me reason to think that Herod knew what John the Baptist looked like. Because when he would listen to him, they would be face to face. No wonder Luke added to his writing that he wanted to see him. He wanted to see who this was that the disciples were talking about. Well, we come to the part in Mark 6. I'm sure you know the story well. Herod celebrates his birthday in a big way. He plans this huge party with all the high-level military officials there, high-level government officials there. I mean, if you were anybody important in Galilee, you were there. Herodias' daughter entertains Herod and his guests were so pleased that he was moved by his emotions to make a promise. And he backed up this promise with an oath, up to half his kingdom. That must have been some kind of dance. Point number three, be careful what you say, especially if you are emotionally worked up. it can get you in big trouble. And it did Herod. He was in deep, deep trouble. Because now he was forced to follow through on a promise just to save his face. After all, there were many witnesses there at that banquet. I'm sure Herod never thought that the request would be the head of John the Baptist, but That's what happened. That's what happens when you're not careful what you say. Verses 24 and 25 in Mark 6. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me... Right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Look at Herod's response in verse 26. The king was greatly distressed. You bet he was. (laughs) His reputation would be doomed by not following through on his promise, yet he knew that killing John the Baptist was also wrong. Be careful with what you say. A very tough lesson that Herod had to learn. It's a lesson that I haven't learned myself very well. Especially when I get all caught up with emotions, whether I'm excited or... I've got to be careful with what you say. Verse 27 and 28 tells us that Herod had John executed and presented his head on a platter whom Salome, that's her name of the daughter. We find that from other historical literature. She immediately gave it to her mother. Verse 29. Mark 6, 29. Some of John's disciples were able to get his body and Give him a proper burial. I want to go back to Matthew 14. Matthew fourteen twelve says this, that after John's disciples told Jesus what had happened and that they buried him, it says this, that Jesus withdrew by boat to a private, solitary place. He mourned the loss of his cousin, his friend, and fellow prophet. But I wonder, I wonder if this was also a reminder of what Jesus was going to be facing in just a little while, knowing that he would have the same fate of being executed. A righteous and holy man, as Herod called John. And as we know that Jesus was a righteous and holy man, son of God. This story is a contrast in human character. One man, John the Baptist, had character and values that he wasn't afraid to live out. And then you have Herod Antipas, a man who showed weakness in character, not able to bring himself to do what was right. Be careful, friends. There's a lot of Herodias' out there that want to entice you and lure you into doing what is wrong, leading you to sin. What kind of character do you have? That's a probing question, but one that we need to answer, and one that will be answered by how we live our lives each and every day. Do we have a godly character that we stand up for our values, that we live out our values, or do we have a weak character and that we just go along with the flow of whatever the culture says? My friends, a godly character begins with trusting in Jesus as your Savior. When you acknowledge that, yes, we are a sinner, we have sinned, and realize that we can do nothing about our sin. But because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we can be forgiven by trusting in Jesus as our Savior. That's where godly character begins. By believing in Jesus as your Savior. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you said, yes, I believe that I am a sinner, that I need a Savior? That my relationship with God has been broken because of my sin. But I believe that Jesus shed blood and death on the cross of Calvary has paid that penalty. And by resurrecting three days later, proved that he was the Son of God. Do you believe that this morning? That's where godly character starts. But it's a journey. Godly character is a journey. It begins with trusting in Christ as your Savior, and it gets built upon by Bible study, by being part of a worship service, by being part of a Sunday school, by being part of a small group, by interacting with Christians. Godly character is built. And again, it has to be based on the Word of God. It has to be surrounded by biblical truth. Godly character is also built by walking with other people, by surrounding yourself with other believers who can be there. And as we talked about this morning in, in the science school class that I teach, having people say, Hey, you know what, Steve? I've seen this in your life, and let's talk about this. I'm not sure. Having people come alongside and point out the things in your life that's probably not as godly and biblical as it should be. But to have that encouragement to do what is right. Godly character is built by surrounding yourself with those who encourage you in your walk with Christ. Are you doing that? I hope so. Because we exist. Waterway Church exists to help you to become more like Jesus. How well are we doing that? Let us know. How better can we do that? Because that's our goal. Because as Sid shared... We want you to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, but we also want you to make other disciples, to impact our culture, to impact the world in which you live, those people who are around you. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be pushback because we're making it about Jesus there's going to be pushback on that. You better believe it. But I tell you what, John the Baptist thought it was worth doing. And you know what? It is worth doing. Because heaven awaits us. Heaven awaits those who have trusted Christ as our Savior. And there is no better reward than to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that is before us because of what Mark wrote here in Mark chapter 6. Lord, I pray that Waterway Church I pray that the people of Waterway Church will make their life and their ministry all about Jesus. God, help us to never stray from that fact. But God, also, when we stand up for biblical truth, Lord, give us the strength and the courage when there's pushback. Because, Lord, we want to have a Godly character that stands for truth, that stands up for what is right. God, thank you for our time together this morning around your Word. And God, may you get all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.